Hello, and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work. I'm Rami Khoury, your host at the American University of Beirut, where every week we talk with a professor or scholar doing some research in some field that uh, they have focused on. We ask them what they have discovered, why they're doing this work, and what it all means uh, for the rest of us. So we have a particularly exciting episode today with Professor Joseph Constantin, who is uh, an associate professor at the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department at AUB. He, he wears many hats and has many awards. He also has uh, 11 uh, pending or uh, full patents in the United States. Uh, he is uh, a World Economic Forum young scientist, and he served on a committee uh, which the World Economic Forum and Scientific American formed to choose 10 emerging technologies in the world. Uh, his work is uh, very much focused on applied electromagnetics, and he will explain to us what that all means and what he's discovering and how it's possibly going to change our lives and make the world a better place. Joseph Constantin, thank you for being with us. Hi, Rami. Thank you for having me. Uh, you work in, uh, uh, in a field uh, that's right on the cutting edge of uh, not just technology but human uh, and world history and, and evolution, um, and I know you're, you've done some really exciting work that links to the medical issues and health and environment and stuff. So uh, tell us, broadly speaking, uh, what is electromagnetics and as you deal with it, and, and why does it matter to the rest of us? All right, so um, when we talk about electromagnetics, we talk about electromagnetic waves, really. And uh, the phenomenon of uh, uh, generating electromagnetic waves. So you, when you have an electric current running through a conductor, uh, you have basically an electric field and a magnetic field that are being radiated. And basically, when these electric and, and magnetic field uh, are being radiated together, they form an electromagnetic wave. And this is how communication happens. And this is how uh, we are able to talk on our cell phones. In fact, this is how we are able to record uh, this conversation right now. So um, my research focuses on how we can use these electromagnetic waves into practical applications that can benefit humanity, that are used for human well-being, for health, for renewable energy, for communication, for new generations of devices. So this is kind of uh, what, uh, what my research focuses on and what electromagnetics and applied electromagnetics really is. Okay. And... Uh... Give us some examples of uh, uh, breakthroughs you've made or discoveries or some of the patents that uh, you've got. Uh, what, what is it that you've discovered, uh, probably working with your colleagues and your students and others around the world? What, give us some examples of what you've come up with and, and what it means to us. Sure. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is how we were able to use electromagnetic uh, um, sensors in order for us to uh, measure glucose variations in the blood wirelessly and without finger pricking. You know that uh, patients, with, you know that patients with diabetes uh, have to prick their fingers four to five times per day in order to track of uh, the variations in their glucose levels in the blood, and this is the traditional way that uh, of accurately measuring glucose. What we have done, and this is something that uh, we have developed at the MSFEA, the engineering uh, school, in collaboration with the Faculty of Medicine, of course, we've developed um, a set of sensors that can be worn, uh, like in a glove, for example, or in an armband, 
or in a sock. And these sensors are flexible and they are based on electromagnetic structures like antennas and, and filters and so on. And what they do is uh, they, they, you have an electric current running through them and generates an electromagnetic wave. But then this electromagnetic wave sees the human body, whether the hand or the leg or the arm, as, as the interface. And then uh, the interaction between the electromagnetic wave and uh, the blood is actually able to detect the variation of glucose and the very and and we're able to measure that by monitoring the response uh, of the electromagnetic wave back at the uh, you know at the, at the at the sensor so this is for example one technology this technology that we have developed we published a paper uh, in science advances and and another paper in a top tier journal and it was featured by uh, forbes and and other international media another uh, technology that we have developed uh, really is when we, we, we actually developed a portable device um, that uh, can detect skin cancer uh, by simply pointing that device at a lesion or at an area of your skin that you are doubtful about. And typically this is something that can be used by clinicians or can be used by patients themselves. And they are able to verify whether a certain skin patch is cancerous uh, or not. Another thing, and this yeah, thank you. And this is a different dimension is, you know, imagine right now that you are connecting, uh, you are connected to Wi-Fi and you capture this electromagnetic signal coming from the router. But think about it, if you are able to transform that electromagnetic signal into DC power, what can you do with it? Because, you know, so we've, we've developed a technique where you can actually charge small uh, sensors or small IoT devices from these wireless signals by just harvesting uh, electromagnetic waves from Wi-Fi routers or from dedicated transmitters and converting them into DC that are fed into small sensors in order to charge them or wake them up to interrogate them on certain information. So this is in, in brief uh, three examples of uh, uh, where electromagnetics is applied and how we were able to leverage it. So you, uh, how do you set off uh, on journeys that bring you to these conclusions? Do you, do you decide you want to focus on medical? I mean, why, why don't you focus on uh, trying to determine uh, if there's enough water in the underground reservoirs around Beirut or Cairo or somewhere? Uh, uh, or, or, you know, how do you choose the area that you're going to zero in on? Do you do it with colleagues in the medical school who come to you? Or how, how does this journey start? No, actually, so I'm going to talk about the glucose journey first. And um, so this is something that came out of a personal experience, to be honest. I mean, in, in uh, Lebanon, a lot of families have diabetic patients among them, and I'm sure in the U.S. it's the same case. So um, really, diabetes is an endemic. It's, uh, it, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it affects every family. In fact, one in 11 people have diabetes. So in my case, I, I had a friend that had diabetes and I had a family member uh, that also had diabetes, my grandmother who, who died from diabetes complications. So, and, and, and witnessing really uh, these diabetic patients and, and the struggle they go through because they have to prick their fingers a lot and they hate picking their fingers because, you know, right. you know over weeks and months, this becomes extremely pain, uh, painful, which actually discourages them from compliance into monitoring their glucose variation. So working in, in wireless systems and working on electromagnetics, I thought to myself, well, there should be another way. There should be something else that we can do. Can we detect this wirelessly? And this is the question that I asked myself. 
And then really, I you know, I got a student who helped me to dig into a literature review and see if somebody else thought about this. And people have attempted to, to solve this problem before, and they have thought about similar issues. And then I thought, you know what, this is a problem that, that we need to tackle. This is a global challenge that we need to address. And then I spoke with colleagues at the electrical and computer engineering department and uh, a colleague at the faculty of medicine uh, who, who specialized in, in uh, diabetes. Uh, I can name them. So Dr. Rueda Kanj and uh, Dr. Yusuf To at the electrical and computer engineering department and Dr. Asadid at the faculty of medicine. And we kind of teamed up in order to tackle this global challenge. And then the, the next step, uh, I mean, this is how it started. And then the next step, if you want, we thought, okay, so the most really, the most difficult issue here is um, how can we put the patient's need and the patient's comfort at the front and center? This is something, you know, this is a, a device or this is a system that must be worn by these patients. So their comfort and their needs and their priorities must be put up front. And we really kind of looked to what these patients need. And one of the major issues was the discomfort in pricking. And, and, we, and another thing, because there are some semi-invasive or minimally invasive devices that are in the market, but they are noticeable and, and people can know that you are scanning penoyal glucose. That was the other things that people really want to, to have this to be as discreet as possible and as private as possible. So we thought, you know what, this can be integrated into your wearable garments. You would wear every, you know, the things that you wear every day. These are the things that would also double as glucose sensors and would also work with you. And we tried this in our clinical trials and our limited clinical trials at AUBMC. And the, the patients really loved it. They felt comfortable. But at the same time, we were very happy with the accuracy of these sensors and the accuracy of the detection. And right now we are able to, de to detect glucose variations up to an accuracy of 99.01%. Of course, while correlating out or calibrating out, if you want, uh, humidity and movement and temperature. So, so we add this into the mix, and and we still have a you know great great accuracy, which is ninety nine point zero one percent. As I said, this is my journey. Yeah. Wow. And and if you go a step further, can you then link? So, if somebody's wearing a, a, a pair of socks that detect their glucose blood level, can you detect? Yeah. Can you link that to send? A signal if the level is very high and dangerous, send the signal, say, to their doctor um, and alert the doctor right Absolutely. away? Or... Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, you know, what we're working on right now is really this particular connection and how we can, I mean, this is something, the response is something you can read from your phone. It can be collect, connected to an electronic record that can notify you, that can notify whoever is uh, responsible for your health, your physician. Uh, and, and, this, and this is a challenging problem, especially for kids. So imagine that a kid is at school and their glucose shoots down, for example, to a to an hypoglycemic level. Then their parents are notified immediately. Their clinicians, their physicians are notified immediately. So absolutely. Wow. And when this is developed, this technology, you then apply for a patent? We already have uh, four patents that are, uh, some of them are in full already issued patents. Uh, I think two or three are already issued, and then the rest are still in provisional to be issued uh, to be issued soon. But uh, four patents are actually the ones that govern this particular project. There are so patents how... in the US, and they are also protected in in several areas around the world. And how soon will uh, people like me who enjoy an occasional one or two, you know, sugar donuts? Uh, how soon are we going to wear these socks that will? 
tell me stop eating these donuts. Uh, it's, <laughs> my blood sugar level is shooting too high. Is this the, coming the, up in the next couple of years or what? Yeah, we hope so. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the the socks or the gloves or the armband depend what you do, and we're making a garment for every occasion. So you're gonna have a necklace and an earring or whatever. And oh so uh, the, the the glucose detection is instantaneous. So uh, there is no delay between glucose varying in the blood and us or or the device knowing about it. So it will detect it instantaneously from the blood. And uh, we're hoping that this is going to be in the market in the next couple of years. Where we are right now, we have done um, a, a limited clinical trial and uh, on, uh, on diabetic, on patients with diabetes at ABMC and on control group. And uh, the next step really is to do an international clinical trial that is a phase one clinical trial. And then on a larger, not much larger number of uh, patients. And then after that, we're going to go into the uh, phase two, and of course, you have the FDA approval and all of that. So we're expecting, you know, let's say in two to three years that uh, this can hit uh, the market. And is this a topic that people are also exploring elsewhere around the world, trying to do the same thing? Do you collaborate with colleagues around the world? So this topic actually is a is a very competitive topic. A lot of people around the world uh, want to want to solve the, or want to tackle this uh, problem or are tackling this problem from different perspectives. Uh, using electromagnetics to solve it and using wearable garments and and everyday wearable clothes to solve this problem is uh, is a unique approach that we are adopting. Other um, other uh, you know other schools or other researchers are using more uh, into something like a biochemical or they have something that is minimally invasive where you have a micro needle that goes into the interstitial fluid but what distinguishes us from everybody else is that we that we have no needle it's completely wireless it's completely wearable needle free pain free and instantaneous uh, we collaborate with a lot of um, uh, i mean we, we're open for collaboration really and a lot of uh, you know hospitals in the us and in the uk they offered uh, you know that they would uh, help us in our clinical trials once we are ready to go there because you know when you go into an international clinical uh, trial you need uh, a diverse set of patients from different areas around the world and hopefully once uh, once we reach there our collaboration will materialize and uh, you know we'll start implementing the system and see the system being implemented on a wide scale wow amazing so tell tell us about the uh, scientific american world economic forum uh, joint um, committee that was formed that you serve on to choose uh, emerging the 10 emerging technologies in the world. Uh, uh, what are we talking about here? And are there specific areas or any kind of technology? And, and how did you choose, you and your co fellow committee members, how did you choose these technologies? Give us some examples of them too. Sure. Um, all right. So basically, being a young scientist at uh, the World Economic Forum, we were offered the, the opportunity to, to you know, to, to uh, opt in if we'd like to serve on something like this, on, on a committee like that. And then, uh, you know, so some young scientists, uh, decide, you know, chose to participate, some did not. And then out of those who chose to participate, there was a group of around, I think, five or, or six young scientists that were selected and were added to the committee that issues the top 10 emerging technology report. Now, this is a report. This is a report that actually is issued every year by, by the Bioscientific American and in collaboration with the World Economic Forum. 
And uh, every year they select a list of 10 technologies that they decide that these technologies are going to be emerging. Okay. And this year it was the 10th year anniversary of, of this, of uh, this report. Sorry, so to when, sorry to interrupt you, Joseph. When you say emerging, that, what, 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 how do you def, define that? That this is a new discovery that's going to really impact people all over the world or what? Well, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, these are technologies that we, we expect are going to become wide scale, that they're going to have a wide impact, and then they will become used by everyone around the world, or at least the, most of the population will be aware of them. Yes. And, and um, so when we, when we were added to the committee, and then the, we, we met regularly uh, with the committee under the chairmanship of uh, uh, Dr. Mariette Cristina, who was the uh, he was the chair of the committee, uh, and she's a dean of communication at uh, Boston University. Uh, so we met regularly for three or four times, and then we each had a kind of, a, a, you know, decided on what we think would be uh, or are the emerging technologies for the next year. And each member of this committee which, who had... Uh, uh, three or four ideas, and this committee really was like around 20 members, and you can find the names uh, in the report. And then uh, we used to vote and discuss, you know, discuss why do why does every one of us think that this is an emerging technology, and then we would vote on this process, and then we go into multiple rounds of selection until the uh, list of top uh, 10 technologies was determined for the year 2021, and this is the list that appeared uh, in the report. Um, so out of that list, I can talk about um, uh, two things about uh, biomarker monitoring, which are the two things that I contributed to. Biomarker monitoring going wireless, which is using electronic circuits, uh, high frequency or low frequency electronic circuits to uh, monitor and detect biomarkers uh, wirelessly. And we're talking here about using uh, electronic circuits to detect, for example, uh, uh, lactate from sweat or to detect the glucose from tears or wearable garments like um, uh, the e-diamond project which is our glucose project uh, for example like gloves and the socks to detect the variation of glucose wirelessly so this is one technology and another technology was how um, wireless signals are going to become a source of renewable energy of renewable power and this is where this accompanies the uh, uh, you know, the rise of 5G and 5G is going to deploy it anywhere. And with 5G, you're going to have larger data rates. So uh, we're going to have a bigger potential of harvesting these signals and converting them into DC. And so basically using wireless signals and transforming these wireless signals into power. So this is the other uh, emerging, especially, especially with 5G and 5G becoming the next, uh, if you want, wireless power grid. So this is the, the, the high-tech modern version of stealing electricity by plugging into your uh, local uh, electric transmission line and taking that power. Uh... But this is legal. <laughs> this is, but... this is totally legal. And of course, this is used, I mean, this is used to charge small sensors, small sensors, small IoT devices that do not require large current uh, per se. Uh, you're not talking about getting enough electricity uh, uh, by tapping into wireless signals to run a television set or uh, no, no, uh, no, no. electric oven or something like that? No, no, no. We're talking about charging small sensors right now. So I'll give you an example. You have sensors that detect humidity in an agricultural field, for example. And then uh, what you do is, let's assume you fly a drone on top of them, and then the sensor has this um, receiver in it that can take the wireless signal of the drone, which can be the geo signal of the drone, 
and then converts that signal into power to wake up, communicate with the drone its information or to charge. You know, if you land the drone or, or uh, hover the drone on top of it for a little while, for a little while the, the sensor can be charged wirelessly. We're talking about something like this. Or if you have a wireless router at home or, uh, or a dedicated even transmitter and you have your wearing sensors, you can charge these wearable small sensors that do not require a lot of power by harvesting these signals. We're not talking yet about charging your phone uh, or charging large appliances, but uh, you know, of course, the future is ahead of us. At at one point uh, in the future, not now, but at one point in the future, uh, um, maybe you'll be able to connect uh, to Wi-Fi the same way you know, same way you connect right now to Wi-Fi. You'll be able to charge your phone at the same time. But that's not something that will happen now. This is something in the future. And of course, figuring out how that is not going to affect the signal integrity and how you're not going to lose. Uh, you know, the quality of the signal is another challenge that must be overcome because before this becomes a reality. So we, we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, so tell us about what does this mean for students? Uh, we're at a university. We have uh, really high quality students and high quality professors. So th th this kind of dynamic where you can be involved in uh, discovering um, new technologies that can save lives and help make us a better world for everybody. How do you see the impact of that on, on your students? And uh, do you focus uh, your research very much with the aim of both making the world a better place, but also uh, inspiring young scientists to keep going in this field and keep discovering things like you've, you've been doing? Absolutely. The students are at the core of everything we're doing. I mean, without the students, nothing can be done. We are at the university and our primary objective is education, but also research. And so the students, we educate the students on contemporary issues. Of course, we educate them on the theory on the, and, the, and the applications, and we engage them to those who are interested in contemporary issues and how to use what they're learning in class into applied research and to apply products that they can use to help humanity to, to uh, move things forward, to really think about how they can help uh, the world. And this is why all of the projects that we are working on uh, involve a large number of students where the students really are excited because they're solving a real world problem. Because in a couple of years, uh, they will see people using these devices or wearing these devices and they would proudly say, I contributed to the development of this and to the research on this. And the students will also, I mean, all the students that contribute to these projects also have the names on the patents and on the paper that we published. So they are an integral part of everything we're doing. And the excitement and really the motivation that you see in the students when they, when they actually witness the impact of what they're building in the lab and how, uh, for example, patients with skin cancer, look at them when they're experimenting when they're when they're seeing results and and the relief that the individuals uh, face them with i mean this by itself gives the students and us a lot of satisfaction and adds to the education because then they are translating what they see in class to what they are applying in the lab to what they are taking into the real world and a lot of startups actually um, uh, you know can, uh, went out because of these projects uh, that are led by students and, uh, you know, more is yet to come. And the students will always be the integral part in all of this. Well, they're lucky to be at AUB, and AUB is lucky to have people uh, like you, and, and you're so 
hundreds of your professor colleagues at AUB. One, one last question. This has uh, economic and financial implications. If you develop these technologies that spread and become used everywhere, it, it, they'll be commercialized and somebody's going to make a lot of money. Will this bring back uh, revenues to the university that can then be plowed into more research and scholarships and uh, new labs and, and, and sort of create a virtuous cycle of uh, discovery and income and, uh, and human development? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. AUB, uh, I mean, it's because we are at AUB that we are able to do all these things. Uh, and we are able to innovate. We've been, I mean, we're given this space, and especially at the engineering, we are giving this uh, innovative and creative uh, uh, place to build uh, what we dream of, you know, what we dream about, to build the future, really. And this is, this is a place where we imagine the future and we work on inventing it, not only imagining it. So we're actually working on inventing things to be used in the future. So absolutely, the startups that will come out of all of this and we're working on a startup for the eDiamond project right now. Uh, these startups, uh, actually, AUB will, is a partner in all these startups. And definitely, the, the, any investment that comes to them, AUB will certainly uh, you know, be the part. In addition, AUB is the one that owns the IP on all the patents. Uh, and so definitely, absolutely, this is a cycle that will continue and will keep moving and progressing. Wow, amazing. We've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, Joseph Constantin, professor, associate professor in the electric, electrical and computer engineering department at AUB. Thank you so much for being with us, and I'm sure we'll check in with you again um, down the road, and I will think of you every time I have an extra donut. <laughs> thank you so much, Rami. It was a pleasure being here, and uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. And thank to our audience for joining us. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. This is Professors at Work. Join me again next week. Bye for now.